and I found myself like seeking her attention, like turning into some kind of like I was over the top performing monkey. Like, look at daddy, look at daddy, he loves you. And she, she was just kind of like, she'd been off in another little world and she'd come back. And I had a genuine fear. As she gets older, she'll want to start kind of making her own steps and distancing herself. So it started already. <laughs> it's all down here from now on. Hello and welcome to season two of My Dad Pod. Thank you for downloading. It's great having you on board. Now, we started our adventure into discussing all things dad back in 2019. And back then, I would start each episode of the pod by saying I'm a brand new father to a wonderful little being named Evangeline. And that's why I wanted to create a place for people, all people, to come and celebrate the wonderful, exciting, sometimes scary, but absolute joy of fatherhood. Now, fatherhood is still just as exciting and it's still just as scary. But now both Evie and the dad pod are a little older and I'm still hoping we can all get a little wiser too. So once again, each episode, I'll be joined by a special guest to guide me through this next stage of parenthood. And this time out, I'm joined by a television presenter, author, life coach, football pundit, and pretty much titan of the dad world. He's a father to two sons, Bobby and Freddie. It's Jeff Brazier. Hey, Jeff. Dave, how are we getting on? Very good, man. I'm very like good. By naming your daughter Evangeline, you've put a lot of pressure on her to be, you know, little Mrs. Goody Two Shoes. Right. Do you I think it'll work? I don't, that I don't was know. the plan, That's... Jeff. You're on to us. Yeah, down to you ever so slightly, but I can see what you've done. Let's whack that label on her and just pray for the best. But yeah, good luck. Well, thanks, mate. You know, you know, the thing was, in all transparency, we really love the name Evie, but it's just one of those that's so popular that we wanted to give her a little bit of an out, something slightly unusual she could lean on should she want to. Because when your dad's grown up as a Dave, mm. he knows only too well what it's like to have a common name. <sighs> so I wanted to give her a little out. Evie it's like, my Be- full name is Davido, but I never use it. No, Evie <laughs> Berry is gorgeous. Thanks, uh, and you're right, she can be fully professional if she wishes and go full length. I can see the business card already. Brilliant. Thanks, Jeff. That's good to know. Now, I should point out, at time of record, we are in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. We're socially distancing here in the studio. Everything's been wiped down with an inch of its life. Um, and I hope that you listening find you're well and your families are safe. Jeff, let me ask you, how has it been with the family, with, with lockdown and, and all that came with that? Uh, yeah, obviously a very difficult time for everybody. Um, but in terms of my family, I'd say we can take small positives from the fact that we were able to reconnect in a way that teenagers don't usually allow. So okay. we went on our bike rides, we we walked, you know, we learned maybe a little bit more about each other than we would have otherwise. And I think it gave us all a, a bit of time to reflect. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of my eldest in particular in that he wasn't really that interested in the in the apprenticeship that he was doing digital marketing. And so he'd just come out of that and it was almost like, right, okay, what am I going to do next? So, you know, it gave us an opportunity to kind of look at options and look at what he might be into. And as a result, I think that it gave us a bit of time and a bit of space and we're better for it. Well, I'm really pleased to hear that. I also hear that Scrabble is a, is a big game in the Brazier household. Is, is that true? Yeah, no, old news, really. We've not oh, played okay. Scrabble Frasier. I don't know why, but it just kind of grew unpopular. <laughs> right, um, OK. No one can beat me, Dave. This is, is that what issue. it is? Yeah, it's the issue. But did you retire when you were on top, or are you not giving the boys Always. a chance to get their vengeance? Always. I mean, the, the boys are never going to come close, but Kate, who really fancies herself, has been highly intellectual and reads like a book every five minutes. 
to her disgust, she just can't do it. <laughs> she can't beat me. Um, I love it. Uh, now, last time I did a batch of these podcasts, I was brand new to fatherhood, I suppose in many ways. I, I still am, aren't we all? And I was asking my guests how to navigate through those early days and those early months. Evie's going to be two years old soon. What's in store for me during those toddler years? Dum, dum, dum. What do you recall either fondly or through gritted teeth from that time with the boys? I, usually when I think back, and if I'm thinking of, of particular incidents, I'm thinking of projectile vomiting for some reason and um, walking through airport security and, and oh. one of them having to do it in a green bin which was designed for maybe bottles of water and things. And then on one plane from the, the States back home, it was literally over for the person in front and actually it was one occasion when it was me who was doing the projector <laughs> uh, because I was at Universal Harry Potter's simulator ride oh and, yes uh, they're I quite full on it. listen after two seconds I knew I was going to be sick I had Bob to my right Fred to my left and it was about right which one of you has been most <laughs> naughty lately because you're going to have to hold it <laughs> but I went home wearing a Harry Potter costume because <laughs> I've done myself. All right, the only thing they sell here is capes and exactly. Yeah, and I brooms. went home as a member of staff. Um, so yeah, you, you think of those times, but I know it's a cliche, but honestly, you really have to embrace every single moment, every tantrum, everything that you think. Oh, am I being a good dad? Am I being a good parent? Otherwise, you know, this wouldn't be happening. Otherwise. It's all fine. It all works out in the end. Like that's a big sort of takeaway tip, by the way, for okay. anybody. But I think when they're older is is the real challenge because obviously as of probably nine, ten, different for different kids, but they've started to distance themselves slightly from you. That's the process. That's what has to happen. But that can be quite unattractive at times, unwanted, and it can leave you feeling a bit rubbish. And you really have to learn not to take things personally over the course of time because you know, they're going to throw everything at you. You're the most safe place for them to do that and reflect that towards. So, you know, that's been the biggest thing for me in the last couple of years is to uh, to understand that this is what I signed up to and that you can't be their friend. You like to feel like you can and, you know, we'll be mates forever. And I think sometimes dads get away with it to an extent. But in my situation... I have to be everything, I have to hold everything, I get to enjoy, obviously, when everything is brilliant, but you know, my main role really is to hold everything and keep everything together when it isn't. And the thought of them getting to a stage where we're all just great mates and we all go and do things that we love together, that's my not my finishing line, because there is no finishing line in parenting, but that's what I'm really looking forward to reaching. But that, that's the light that you can focus on through through the good times and the bad times when you're kind of together in their company. Yeah, well, now he's business set. And obviously what I don't have the benefit of doing, this brings it back to your question, is I don't have the benefit of going back in time yeah. and, and enjoying those moments. I can cuddle them and I can, like, drop Bobby to the station this morning. And for whatever reason, he was just really open and receptive and wanted to chat and it was really nice. And he wouldn't even notice the difference within himself. But I know when I'm enjoying a, a good moment and I just savour it a little bit. And that, you know, might, you know, to hear me talk like this when obviously you're the father of a teenager, you might think, well, that's really, I didn't foresee that kind of need to to make the most of good conversations because maybe sometimes, you know, the bad ones and the bad sign of things where you have to keep everything together or um, there's slightly more of those maybe. It's interesting, Jeff. you should say it, and, and this is going to be, from my perspective, a real green shoot of, of what you've said about not kind of taking that personally because at the moment, you know, Evie and I are really close. She's, she's two and, and I'm loving it. And, you know, when you came into the studio, you said that that kind of thing's not going to last forever and you've just gone into detail in such a wonderful way there. But 
my wife took Evie away to to her parents' house for a few nights, and, and it was really nice for Evie to get some time with with her grandparents and for Sarah Jane to spend some time with her parents. But when Evie came back, she seemed kind of nonplussed by me. And I found myself like seeking her attention, like turning into some kind of like I was over the top performing monkey. Like, look at daddy. Look at daddy. He loves you. And mm. she, she was just kind of like she'd been off in another little world and she'd come back. And I had a genuine, like, there was anxiety and fear. And what you're saying is as she gets older, mm. when she gets to that 9, 10, 11, it is, of course, the natural process she wants to start kind of making her own steps and distancing herself. I don't know how I'm going to handle that, so given this tiny little example. So it started already. <laughs> it's all down here from now on. But let's think about what our job actually is. I mean, yeah, it's okay. interesting you talk about us needing validation from our two-year-old child. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, of course there's a bit of that. If we've had something, if we've basked in the, in the warmth of our child's full attention, then we would get slightly addicted to that and want to see it more and more, which is why it's hard when it starts to web away. So banning her from seeing her grandparents ever again was not the answer. (laughs) Absolutely. Never going up there again for any reason. No, it's not the grandparents' fault. So our job is to make our children independent to the extent where they can survive in this world. Of course, you're absolutely right. We talk about the stages here, you know, Evie's walking and she's talking and I love her, you know, stringing her first senses together. She's doing adorable things like drawing on our suede sofa with a crayon. That's fine. That's fine. But your boys are like, I don't know, if we look at the landmarks, they're kind of driving a car age. They're two teenage lads. And that must present its own unique set of challenges, Jeff. What are those challenges? People listening with teenagers now, you know, that will resonate with them. And and how are you finding it? In terms of self-reflection, it's have I done enough? And how do I know that I've done enough? Well, I guess when you see them navigate certain issues, that's when you think he dealt with that well. And so he must have taken something along the way. It's really hard to quantify exactly how much they've learned until the situation arises that, that gets to prove the point. It's really interesting, this conversation, because obviously you're at the beginning of it. I'm at, you know, the business end, the real yeah. rough business, like the apprentice <laughs> slot when there's three of you and things get ruthless and I'm going to take you down. Um, so, yeah, how do you know when they're when they're ready for life? Well, they, they never are. And to be honest, I'm 41 and I'm still a work in progress. I'm still developing I'm still learning by my mistakes and I think that's the key word is that we have to be prepared to let our children make mistakes in order to learn from them I think the beginnings of that is when you know a lot of the time we're so cautious of our child hurting themselves and naturally so but if we're forever saying don't touch that and don't do that and I was with a friend recently who who was a good example of it and obviously I don't sit there and sort of tell him afterwards like I think you could have done this a little bit different you know I do that with a football I don't need to do that with friends and their parenting it would be really annoying I'd have very few (laughs) friends as a result Uh, but you could just see how you don't need to be that all over it and actually you know the, the school of thought is this is that that child is just getting annoyed with you because you are smothering to an extent let her explore and wander and do everything that a child should do because their job is to literally go and work out what their relationship with everything is, with themselves, their parents, with the outside world. You know, and we, for our own sense of fear and our own sense of how do I feel as a dad if my child falls over and, and bumps their head, 
you know, so actually because I recognise that that's probably not going to feel great, I'm going to stop you from doing anything that might even vaguely lead to that being a possibility. Mm -hmm. So we have to work out where our fear begins and their right to explore kind of begins. What's the worst can happen if they bump their head? And yeah, don't get me wrong, you know, we don't want to sort of end up in A&E. No, and, and, and of worse. There's, there's probably levels to the amount of caution that is yeah. relevant in any situation. Yeah. But if you're too much so, then um, then I think that we're denying our children that mm. opportunity to, even though they're really young, it's them discovering and and growing a, a small independence, That those first micro steps towards becoming their own person. So I've kind of been guilty of doing exactly what you've just said, and, and, and my partner's very good in, in the other way. You don't want to create a culture where... I don't want Evie to... If she does fall and she grazes her knee, for example, we don't want her to be scared of running anywhere. And you get to that point where that's the person that you start to create. And that's where what you said when you watch Bobby and Freddie interacting with real-life situations, which will face everybody at, at mm. some stage in different ways, mm. you, you don't want them to be, to be frightened of going into a situation, have any apprehension or anxiety that goes back to some... This is probably pop you know, psychology here, but goes back to some thing where you weren't allowed to run around in the garden in case you hurt your leg. Well, these are the beginnings of those things. Yeah. And Evie's at that age where she's starting to remember things and we're shaping she knows their understanding stuff. Yeah. of the world. It's funny, like as I I would probably be in granddad mode if I had another child and I right. did it again, just okay. simply because I've got these 16, 17 years experience and I'm quite a, an analyst, if you like. I'm an observer. I will take everything in. I'm always trying to learn how I can be my best. I'm always trying to refine. If I had a two-year-old and they were running around a restaurant, then actually I would see it as a, a real opportunity for them to go and explore. And I'd be really open for them, as long as they weren't heading for the front door, which I would be mindful of. I certainly wouldn't be opposed to them getting a metre, two metres, three metres away from the table. I'd always watch. I'd obviously have an eye out. But I'd, it'd almost be like a gift from me to that child to go and... Go and explore. Go and make some friends. Go and interact with adults, with other children. Put your hand in that other person's pasta. Exactly, Take a mouthful. Yeah, Don't worry about yeah, it. Let them deal with that. Um, <laughs> again, Dave, I'm trying to have lunch. It's not my issue. <laughs> do you know what? I, the way I see it with regards to the boundary with a boy, certainly in teenage years, is um, I don't know why the analogy comes to mind, but it's uh, the bowling lane. And it's about having those side things up. Mm -hmm. um, now, a lot of parents, I think we can all sort of use this as a sense of scale, is that some of us have got those that safety lane sort of right in. So that ball can literally only go from where you are down to those skittles. Whereas I think we have to challenge ourselves to just widen that. We know that we're there That's to good. catch them, mm. um, but, you know, let's not make it so restrictive that they can't learn for themselves. That's nice, Jeff. Yeah, that's good. You talk about the boys being maybe not the end of the parenting journey, but as they embark on adulthood and, and stuff. How do you find that, you know, with the modelling and stuff? You know, the boys have got jobs, they've got lives, and how, how do you cope with all of that at this kind of the business end of parenting as well? If there's not enough of the kind of things that I would want to see from them, if the work ethic isn't there, which mm -hmm. was the case recently, then I would put some things in place in order to encourage that, such as charging Bobby rent. Yeah. Um, so that's something I decided to do because I believe in that as a as a motivational tool for him to go and need to you know work four or five hours doing a pot wash in the local cafe or the restaurant or whatever. Yeah. But otherwise, you see them just kind of naturally have these 
adult traits that you know are going to get them on in life. Mm-hmm. Um, Freddie displays a lot of them, actually. Freddie had a, a terrible time in school. He's still in his last year. It's, he's really settled now and has been for a year or two. Oh, but as someone with ADHD, uh, the vilification almost during the early years, and I remember a teacher saying to me, isn't it about time you put your son on medication? And oh, how wow. personally I took that. Yeah, horrible words, you know, put in a really bad order. And, and those things can really sort of set you back. But himself can only imagine that he felt like he was the naughty kid. And as a result, he played to that. So over the years, we've been trying to unravel all of that, unpick it so that he could just be settled in an environment where he can be himself. And we've mm-hmm. now found that place and he is now doing that. And you really have to play to the strengths of each individual child as opposed to having sort of one blanket approach to all of your children. But yeah, Freddie's emotional intelligence is ridiculous. And I know that actually people can have a really good life and and enjoy a really successful career just by having been full of that sense of empathy Mm -hmm. and and able to connect with people. And he's got that in bucket loads. So I've never really worried or been concerned about it. Well, it's a priceless thing in a human being. You know, it's important to be educated and qualify in what you want to do. Of course it is. I'm not saying that. But to be able to to interact with people and have a, an understanding on a human level is, is, a, is a priceless thing. It's not something that you can learn. It's not something that you can teach somebody, is it? It's a really important point because I, he really didn't fit into the education system. Mm. Uh, he could not conform to what it expected of him. But, you know, sometimes I look back and obviously now I'm a more experienced campaigner, as it were, as far as parenting is concerned. Like, I'm so pleased that I didn't ever try and fit that square peg into a round hole Mm. Um, that I was able to differentiate my expectations and actually know when to push and when to when really to not because I believe he will gravitate towards his own thing and I believe in years time we will be able to look back and say well you didn't need those GCSEs Uh, I didn't need to push you and put you under pressure you know you've had a potentially a difficult day at school and then you come home and then this being your safe environment and then I'm completely on you. You know, we had a lot of parents struggling with the homeschooling during lockdown and mm. my only advice was just that, you know what, it possibly matters a little bit less than you imagine it does and this is not a test of you as a parent. You know, this should be a test of your child's resilience and resourcefulness. School doesn't give our kids a lot of the tools that they need. Yeah. So, you know, A, what are they? And mm-hmm. B, can we find a way to give those ourselves i'm just really pleased that freddie's happy mate i'm that's a really good thing you know it is difficult to navigate through parenting that's the point of the podcast particularly i suppose when you get to education you know you want to be in that slipstream people go into that slipstream of this is how that your child's life is going to be ordered this is what they need to achieve this and this is the only way that they can be happy but that's not the case for everybody no, it isn't. And sometimes, you know, it's for us that we get to put on social media. My son got two A's, three B's, you know, in his GCSEs. Oh, and he didn't really revise, mate. Isn't that great? And really, that's possibly for our own ego as, yeah. a, as opposed to, to anything else. We know that life is a lot of show and tell at the moment, and that's social media. That's the way it is and will always be. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think the best parents are the ones that really put their children first in a sense of, but what's right for them? Um, all right, okay, so the rest of the family might actually, and my friends might even look at this and uh, and, and their education and the way that I'm handling it, and, and they, they may disapprove, but they can't possibly understand what it's like to be in Fred's shoes. They can't possibly understand, and ultimately, I guess it's my right as his parent to, to make those calls, but I think it takes broad shoulders sometimes to make some of the decisions we need to because we know that you know maybe sometimes some people that are close to us might disapprove. Mm-hmm. 
well, as I say, I'm just really pleased that, that Freddie's happy. That, that's fantastic. Now, Jeff, on Father's Day back in, in June, which seems like a thousand years ago, you posted a wonderful tribute to, to your late father, Stephen, um, who, am I right in saying you never got to meet your, no, your dad? But you turned what was a tragic situation into some really touching words. For those listening, would you, would you share with us a little bit about your dad? Yeah, absolutely. Just he, he was the skipper of the Marchioness and the uh, the Marchioness was collided into by the bow bell, which was a dredger, and this was in 1989. So um, it was a big tragedy. That I suppose if you're old enough to remember, you'll recall that it mm. went on and on and on and on because they didn't have a, a public inquest into you know what the actual cause was because it's not just about getting justice for the victims it's it's as much about you know how do we sort of organize this river so that this can't possibly happen again but i remember it because all my family works on the river i remember being there the day after actually looking out the window of my auntie's uh, she was the manageress of a boat called the regalia which was permanently moored at swan lane so i became aware of his existence and the fact that i had a real dad that i hadn't yet to meet probably four years after the event when my mum and stepdad had split up, we'd had to run away to a women's institute and we'd been rehoused in a little village called Tiptree, which is where I finished the last couple of years of my senior school education. My mum sat me down and asked if I'd like to meet my real nan and granddad, which was a really odd question to ask. And, Goodness uh, me. But straight away, I kind of, it's really odd how much we hold stored in our subconscious. And uh, straight away, I remember the moment where... I called my stepdad, who I thought was my real dad, I called him Rob, and obviously you don't call your real dad by his first name. So suddenly it all fell into place. Like, my stepdad wasn't actually in my life for the first five years, but somehow I just managed to completely forget that he didn't exist, you know, for that time. And so then, yeah, you get to a point where you're like, okay, what about my real dad? And she told me the story and that he obviously had died during those tragic circumstances. And you have to very quickly come to a conclusion. I said, right, how am I going to take this? How do I feel about it? I think it's part of my inherent sort of makeup is always to see the positives. Uh, it's hard to see a positive of that, but the positive was that I was going to get to meet an extended family that I didn't know existed that would all obviously really want to play a part in my life. And they'll and, have wonderful stories to tell about your dad firsthand, which you'll be hearing for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. And it was. It was a real learning curve. And I didn't mind hearing all the stories. I didn't feel like, but why didn't he want... It wasn't a real sense of rejection and abandonment to be honest I'd sort of experienced a little bit of that by being in foster care for a couple of years when I was really young I suppose I wasn't interested in holding negativity it's interesting because I was 13 at the time but I was already had a really strong sense of what it took to survive mentally but either way that was my attitude I also didn't want to make my mum feel bad because she's very attached to this in that you know I could I could have asked my mum a lot of questions of why didn't you make sure that I'd met him and why didn't this and what mm. I'd understood that she'd had a really tough life to be fair mate she had me when she was 15 like she was obviously really stubborn she ignored everyone saying like don't do it you're not ready for it I got across the line if you like and that's the way I actually look at life is that I'm just lucky to be here because really the odds were stacked against someone falling pregnant at that age and actually sort of seeing it through to to having you but in terms of the difference it's made on me as a dad if you like Mm -hmm. is that firstly Bobby's here ultimately because of what my mum gave me the right to be here and, and have a go and try and find my way so firstly I've got two children because of that so mm-hmm. it is a perpetual cycle what you experience does infer the decision making process that you maybe adopt in certain situations or I certainly did when I was 23 it makes me appreciate my boys all parents love their kids you know but 
I really, really appreciate them because I appreciate that I can have a relationship with them that I guess I would have really loved to have had with my biological father. Yeah. Uh, by the way, my stepdad, I just want to reference him because sometimes he gets left out. Of course. He he wasn't the best partner to my mum and he'd be the first to admit to that that times were really difficult. They were very young, naive. They made lots of mistakes. But ultimately, we've enjoyed a, a much improved relationship of late and it's really interesting how I think because of how he felt COVID might affect him in that he felt that if he was going to get it, that would be his locks. He's had a few heart operations and stuff like that. Okay, so he's in the high-risk category, okay. Yeah, because of his own sense of his own mortality, I think he wanted to get a few things off his chest. So So did he reach out to to you, Jeff? He did, and he started asking some really brave questions, but he also started to apologise for a few things and make some real brave admissions, and I just really appreciate that he's done that, Mm. because regardless of our difficult the conversation may have been to have there's a therapy in it for both of us yeah they're really one i can see it within himself and our relationship now is better than it's possibly ever been so him him reaching out to you he's given you a great gift there in a way because you've been able to unpack a lot of this stuff yourself Uh, and that can only benefit you as a parent going forward yet again you know you already seem to deal with this well as such a young man but but as an adult and as a parent this is just another step forward isn't it that's a good point you can unpick a lot of it yourself in therapy which i have for the last two and a half years i've been in psychotherapy for a process called reparenting which is to do with the childhood rejection and abandonment uh, you know of being in foster care for however long i was in there and that for the last two and a half years has been absolutely vital for me becoming the best version of myself if you like mm-hmm. the version of myself that i may have been if the circumstances were different when I was younger. Through life, and you might feel that you've got a little Dave, and I'm not referring to the other little Dave, I'm, yeah. I'm referring to, you know, <laughs> little, <laughs> little Jeff has been making decisions throughout the whole of my life. When I'm triggered and something takes me back to that that feeling of, of abandonment or feeling unsafe, then usually it's him that, that is overriding my adult instincts. But we don't want a five-year-old, ten-year-old version of yourself making decisions in your adult life because they'll usually just be too cautious and uh, taking you off the path that you really want to go in. So that's as much as I'll say on it just because it is a complicated process. But reparenting, for anyone who has attachment issues because they were fostered, because maybe they didn't have a great relationship with their mum or their parents generally, they should read up on the different types of attachment issue that you can have and they'll find a lot of truth in that and they'll be able to work themselves out you know, fairly quickly. I appreciate that not everybody can afford the different types of therapy that are available to you, but if you are brave enough to do it, it is nothing short of life-changing. Wow. Um, you know, that, that's great to hear, Jeff. And it leads me nicely on to, we talk about your fostering, we talk about your stepdad, we talk about your biological father and, and, and dealing with all that stuff. Of course, the boys tragically lost their mum, uh, Jade, back in 2009. And yet somehow you, you've managed to take all of this and turn it into a positive, which I really admire, Jeff. You did the grief survival guide. You're emphasising, you're encouraging the importance of dealing with grief. My first question to you, which I really want to know the answer to is, where did you find time to look after yourself? Once that happens, you've got Bobby and Freddie, they're young boys, and you're looking after yourself physically, mentally, spiritually. That's got to be important. How did you begin to carve out the time? Because if you don't do that, you can't do the best job for the lads, you know? How did you manage to do that? I'm fascinated but, to know. Well, you've got the context now. Because of what we've we've spoke about and what's led us to, to, to this question, you know a little bit more about the making of me, if you like. Mm-hmm. My purpose feels like it's a really difficult question to answer. But of someone course. hit me with it recently. 
what is your purpose? And right. it's all of this life experience that I've got, a lot of it has been really challenging. So, well, what can we do with that that might benefit others? Just be honest and open. i say it again, share your vulnerability. You can guarantee that the vast majority of people will have experienced something that's similar. You know, I always used to go through life trying to use positivity as a probably as a bit of a mask. I thought that it was a lifestyle choice. I thought that it was a mindset choice. But actually, in some respects, you can probably be too positive in that you are blocking the natural uh, sentiment that, that arises from certain situations. So I learned this recently without going on too much about it. The SAS experience that, that I had two years ago, I realised that I was very encouraging of everybody. I have this ability to look after everyone. I'll make sure you've got the right weight in your burger and that your shoes are dried and whatever else. But when it comes to coming off the back of just doing something really difficult and emotional, I won't share with you that I found that really difficult. In fact, I won't even admit to myself that it was difficult because I'm being what I would have termed as being positive. But what happened, and this was amazing that that process really drew this out and reflected this back at me, was that by not sharing that, other people would be like, oh my God, Jeff's like, he's like Superman. He's, he's flying through this. He's having no problems at all good for him but I can't share how I feel with him I'm going to go and share it with that person who's been honest and yeah. saying that was like horrendous mm-hmm. I feel really emotional feel really weak whatever it is by that token you're always only ever going to be on the edge of a group and and I realised that actually that's where I probably put myself a lot of my life I learned to do it as a kid that's a safe distance for me I know a lot of people will identify with this as well. It's funny because my 20s were some sort of weird exception to that rule where I guess in your 20s where you'd start going out and I remember myself being absolutely in the middle of everything. But then (laughs) I I think I reverted back back to that natural sort of, that natural comfortable distance. Again, this is part of, I guess, what I'm doing in the last two and a half years of therapy is that I'm starting to feel far more comfortable with offering more to you as I talk to you, offering more of myself, more of my vulnerability. And as a result, the connections that I enjoy already with my friends are a strengthening. My ability to meet new people and make new friends a lot quicker and feel really comfortable in lots of situations is, is improving as a result. So there's a lot of the attachment stuff that will be mixed up in that. But either way, it's just so helpful that I was able to learn that lesson quite recently, really. It makes it far easier for me to be connected. And we all need to be connected, not just for our devices and through following each other on Instagram, whatever else, but actually truly be able to say, I feel this and not worry about what your response might be, because your response is actually nine times out of ten always going to be, I feel exactly the same. Lovely, Jeff. You've certainly been, I mean, incredibly open on the dad pod. So I'm, I'm you know, appreciative of that, as I know everybody listening will be. Obviously, don't forget to, to comment and everything underneath. And I know, Jeff, you, you're inundated with incredible comments on your on your Instagram and stuff, which I know you just touched on. But because you're so open on there and, and you're offering this out, it's a, it's a really good place to, to be, by the way. Jeff, let's talk about football. Now, you're a qualified coach and you're a big Tottenham fan. What do you think of the new stadium? The new stadium's incredible. Yeah. Actually, it, out of all the things to do with Tottenham right now, apart from the fact that Gareth Bale is potentially coming back, which <laughs> at time of when record. people are listening, <laughs> sorry, yeah, yeah, when people are listening yeah. to it, he will be a Man United player probably. <laughs> um, um, but as a B licensed coach, I mean, obviously you're you're a young man, but the people that you're training, do you see a similarity between being a dad and, and being a coach, or are they? 
aspiring athletes, you take a step back, you look at it much more from a, a scientific perspective almost, or are there lines that blur between being a dad and being a coach? Oh, I honestly feel like it's the same job. Right, in that okay. you're trying But there's to... more of them and cones. Yeah, yeah, I'm not trying to, you know, worry about how are you getting on at school? And so so obviously only so many areas that you can go into, usually the, uh, you know, it's, it's about football, but it's also about their mindset. I actually want to cultivate strong, independent, individuals that are going to go on and crack on in life whether it's through football or or otherwise and I know a, a big part of that with regards to parenting mm-hmm. especially when you've got teenagers is be the role model like I know it's so important sometimes my kids won't listen to something I say to them verbally but they will see it when I'm actually physically doing it in front of them so if my lifestyle habits and decision making process are healthy are beneficial are productive then I know that there's a really good chance that they'll see it and they'll they'll note it and maybe it's something that will come into their game at a later date. And I know that it's the same when you're coaching young football, how you conduct yourself, the kind of positivity that you exude will rub off on them. And you'll always remember your best football coach. Mm. You, you'll maybe always remember the best coach that coached the team you love. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, it's Steve Cowley, the father of the Cowley brothers. And he was just so positive. And even back then when actually it seemed like fine for people to berate kids from the sidelines even when the pressure was on you know he'd he'd always be constructive and positive and I really appreciate that of him more so because it was a time when he would have been forgiven for being otherwise now Jeff you have peppered this edition of the dad pod with great dad advice but I want to ask you and let's go through some previous guests Uh, Emma Willis her piece of dad advice was nothing lasts Everything is constantly changing with your kids, so go with the flow. Rob Beckett said, take your time in the bathroom. It's the only time you're going to get to yourself. <laughs> Chris Kamara, Cammy said, check in with them. He's got adult children, but he still rings them every week and just says, are you okay? He, was, he even said, like, they're like, yes, Dad, I'm fine. He's like, no, honestly, son, are you okay? So, as I say, you've given us so much already, Jeff, but what would your piece of dad advice be? I've done it myself and I've seen so many others do it and continue to do it to this day and that is the amount of unqualified pressure that we put on ourselves is ridiculous because life is challenging enough as it is without us really ladening ourselves with am I good enough as a parent? Am I doing the right thing? Am I being seen to be good enough by others? And it's all quite unnecessary and unhelpful a lot of the time so when I say it'll all work out love is enough like you'll get through your kids will always you know find their way anyway so don't feel like the pressure is on you to deliver some sort of unspoken of curriculum that you need to box tick throughout let them see the best side of you they're not going to see the best side of you if you're really feeling the stress and pressure of it all being on your shoulders and I say that as someone who is largely parented on his own Mm-hmm. and has felt that pressure. There was a pressure, but there was also the overperceived pressure that I put on myself. So I'm actually begging parents that are listening to this to not do that to themselves. You don't need to. It's not helpful. Um, that's great, Jeff. Bobby and Freddie, they hear this podcast back in 15 years' time. <laughs> They're like, first of all, Dad was right. Bale did sign for Tottenham. He went on to be their all-time leading goal scorer. What would you like to say to them? I just that everything they do is so exciting for me from this point onwards. And actually, it always has been. You know, just it gives you new life. As a 40-year-old man, again, at the time that you're talking about, I'll be 55 or halfway through my life. And they add so much to my existence. And finally, Jeff. There's an old saying about you can't pick your favourite child. 
Now, I don't want you to name them, but do you have a favourite child, yes or no? Yes, but it switches <laughs> like every five minutes. It really depends. Today, Bobby was excellent. Last night, Freddie was horrendous. Uh. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're constantly like either passing the baton or I imagine them like the bushwhackers where they're tapping in and out of the ring. Right, it's your turn to be a swine. You know, you, you chill out and be nice for a minute. Oh, lovely. Jeff, it's been so lovely spending some time in your company. And as I say, it's been heartwarming. It's been informative it's been all the things i was i was hoping to get when i sought advice on parenting it's so nice to see you as well and send my love to the family and um wishing you uh, all the happiness in the world uh, jeff brazier thank you very much jeff. thank you don't know about you but my parenting notebook is full of tips and advice following that uh, jeff brazier what a guest what a dad Just a reminder, Jeff's book, The Grief Survival Guide, is available now wherever you go and get your books from. And if you enjoyed this episode of my podcast, then please do give us a comment and a review. You can get in touch with me via Twitter or Instagram or email me. It's daveberrydadpod at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. And if you want to hear more from me, then why not tune into my breakfast show weekday mornings from 6am on the Absolute Radio Network. It's the only breakfast show in the world with one set of talky bits, but eight different playlists to choose from. Next time, I'll be joined by a member of Britain's biggest ever boy band. Take that, Howard Donald, who is a dad of four. So, see you next time, and thanks again for listening. <laughs>